Hallelujah, he is risen. Well, happy Easter, Christ City Church. It is so great to see everybody out here on this beautiful Easter Sunday. I just want to give like a hand clap to God and uh, the world and everything for giving us a beautiful morning together. And uh, it's so wonderful to see half of all of your, I'm sure, smiling faces this morning. My name is Jamin Carter. I'm a pastor here at Christ City Church, and uh, I am thrilled that we get to be together on this Easter morning in this way. And um, before we jump into the sermon, I just want to uh, give a few other directions and repeat some of the things that, that Katie said. So first, there's a little chalk area over there that some of the kids are playing in, and that, that's, that's free for all for, for kids, and we just want to make sure there's parent supervision going on there. And um, the other thing is that there, uh, my son, who is seven, was asking about the, uh, the cross and the stickers and the, and the markers, and you can, you can decorate those any way you want, any way. Uh, there's, no, there's no specific way to do that. So um, this Easter morning, we're actually starting a, a new sermon series, and it's called Presence. And the idea around that series, along with the church calendar, is that we can talk about the life and the teachings of Jesus and the doctrines and theologies around Christianity. And those are extremely helpful. And uh, the question that we want to explore in this series, though, is how do we interact with the presence of Jesus uh, when he's not physically here with us? That's the question that we want to address in this next series called Presence. And this is perfect for Easter morning, to begin on Easter morning, because in the text we're about to look at, we see uh, Team Mary, that's what I call them. There's two Marys and, uh, and another woman named Salome visiting an empty grave. And so with that in mind, I'd like us to go ahead and stand for the reading of the word in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. So I got a question for you. Have you ever wanted somebody to tell you something, even though when they told it to you, you knew you weren't going to believe them ahead of time? Like you already knew before they told it to you, you weren't going to believe what they said, but you still wanted them to say it. Like, I love you. Or like, I'll text you back later. Or I'll do the dishes when I get home from work. Or... Yeah, you do. You look really good in that. You probably relate to, to one of those things and, uh, or more. And that's the thing about life is after you've lived life for a while, sometimes you end up thinking that things are just eventually going to turn out bad. You ever been there where you find yourself just already thinking like, this is, this is not going to work out. And, and then something happens that doesn't fit inside this narrative, somebody says something really nice to you or shares some hopeful, amazing news about the world, and you find yourself incapable of receiving it, unable to fully believe it, unable to carry it in your heart. One person has. That's true of me all the time. And this is the message of Easter, 
This is the message of the Resurrection Sunday. It, it's the, the moment in life in this world where such a big, amazing, powerful, hopeful message about the entire universe is being revealed, and there's just no category for it. There's no place to put it in our minds. Sure, we think we've wrapped our hearts and our minds around this idea of Christianity, but it is such a big, incredibly hopeful concept. And our small and wounded hearts have a hard time grasping it. So this morning, this Sunday, still trying to wrestle our way out of this pandemic, Easter can be a reminder to us that God is ready to roll away stones of heartache and skepticism and grief in our lives and reveal the elusive and everywhereness of the hope that comes with new life. Some of the big events in my life that uh, that I've had a, I had a hard time containing and carrying were the birth of my children. Uh, especially uh, when Benjamin was born, we, our, our first child, and uh, there was over a year, we didn't know if we were going to be able to get pregnant. And, and in fact, the doctor told us that, that it was unlikely uh, without some intervention. But it seemed as though God intervened and we were able to have a child. And that moment I remember it was too big for me to hold it it changed me and it real it made me realize something it made me realize that my heart could and needed to grow to be able to carry and hold the amount of beauty all around me in the world but there's there's small events too very Everyday, ordinary events, I find this is true. I was, I was not feeling well last week with allergies and maybe from my first vaccination shot, I don't know. Um, and I was sitting on the couch and I was just having a hard time. And uh, one of my kids came in and ran and jumped on the couch next to me. And I, I had my phone in front of me, of course, and I put it down. And I looked out the window from the side and all I saw was green vibrant, beautiful green, just these trees and plants and bushes. And I said, oh, it was Benjamin. That's who it was. I said, Benjamin, look at that. Look at all that green. You know, he was, he wanted a snack or something. He's like, I don't care about that. I'm, I'm talking about goldfish or whatever. But I was struck. I was struck by that moment. I was struck by these both big and small events in life where suddenly what I expect to be true in my small wounded heart becomes untrue, if only just for a moment. And this morning, as we look at this passage on the resurrection of Jesus, we find three people who come to a grave expecting to see what had always been true about the world. And they were left with their expectations upturned, that, that where they thought the story ended, for once it seemed it was ending somewhere else. 
They were incredibly sad and disappointed when Jesus was killed, and this rang true in their hearts about what they knew life was like. They knew this, that nothing good lasts. Anybody ever told you that? People that care for you may have told you that to try to prepare you for this world. So the question Jesus' followers had to answer as they broke the Sabbath this morning was how and what do you do? <laughs> My notes are in the wrong order. <laughs> so I'm like, that's not the question. When nothing good lasts, what do I do? When nothing good lasts, what do I do? So let's look at these first couple of verses here. It says this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, mother the Mary of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Very, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So here's what's going on here. They, they are um, doing what is a normal custom when somebody dies uh, in this time period in the Middle East, they would put them in a tomb above ground for about a year. Because of the climate, the body would decompose quickly within a year. And so they would put perfume on the body in order to uh, make sure it wasn't stinking during that time when it was decomposing. After that year, they'd take the bones out, put it into a grave. So they were going there to honor the body of Jesus with respect. And I wonder what they may have been thinking. Here's what I think I might have been thinking. Maybe you could relate to these kinds of things. That, yeah, we, we believed that this was, this was going somewhere big, that, that maybe Jesus would be able to change the world without violence, without might making right, uh, without bullying, without bombs and guns. But nobody can truly change the world like that. And this just goes to remind me, I shouldn't try anything too big, too bold to serve other people, to care for other people in this world because you're just going to get knocked down a peg. It's not going to work out. This happens over and over. And while we had Jesus for a while and he filled us with an unimaginable level of love and dignity and hope, we're also not surprised that it ended this way. You ever tell yourself something like that when something good runs out for you? When the inevitable thing happens, the person says what you're afraid they were going to say to you, the job doesn't work out, the pregnancy doesn't happen, the relationship falls apart. Yeah, of course, because good things don't last. But there's also something here that's pretty incredible about the fact that these women are headed towards this grave that they have taken this idea and this event that has come and they've said, okay, I accept this. I accept this reality. I'm not blaming anybody for it, but I accept the sadness and the grief here. And what is it in my power to respond to what life has given me? I could just be incredibly bitter about it. I could look around and see who there is to blame. But they chose to be present in their grief and in their loss. 
And, and I want you to pay attention to that because this, this opens up something for them, even here in this very passage. At Christ City, we, we have these eight practices that we seek to practice, and one of them is choosing presence. That means no matter what comes in life, to take the time to feel my hurt, my anger, my sadness, my joy, whatever it might be. Because many of us have been taught and told you can't do that. You can't feel those things. You've got to have answers and reasons to avoid running into those feelings, those things that make life so alive and so hard. But I tell you what, friends, I want you to know this this morning, that this is where we have the opportunity to encounter not an idea of God, not what somebody told you that they believed about God, but the living God. So the women are on their way, Mary and Mary, getting them shackles off from their minds. Somebody's gonna, remember, gonna understand what I just did there in a minute. And Salome's with them. And in verse three, it says, they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? This seems so insignificant that they're asking this question as they're on the way. But I want, I want to put this in context for you. If they had been filled with bitterness and blame, they would have never left for that tomb. They would have never been on their way because you know what they would have said in their minds? They would have said, of course, you know what? There's going to be this big rock in the way and we don't know how to move that. And those soldiers are going to be there and it's not going to work out. Just like Jesus died, we're not going to be able to go and honor him. We're not going to be able to do what we need to do. We might as well stay home and stew in our grief or stew in our anxiety about trying to solve a problem that's not even theirs to solve. Do you ever find yourself doing that, trying to solve a problem that's not yours to solve and missing out on things? Trying to make sure that, uh, that somebody else doesn't have to deal with the problems uh, that are on their plate to solve? You know what? I'm just going to do uh, this right here and this right here. <laughs> We don't do iPads really in my house, so you know, you gotta deal with this for a moment. So, because these women were present, present means in the now, in this moment, they weren't pretending or consoling themselves that they already knew what the future held. Because that's what bitterness does. That's what the inability to deal with the feelings we're having right now about life does, it keeps us from not being future tellers. You ever been, been, a, been a future teller before where something bad happens and you're like, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Or I'm not going to do that because I already know how that's going to turn out. Why do we do that? Well, it's a lot easier than hope. It's tragic and lonely, but it's a lot easier than hope. But these women knew they weren't in control of this situation. I said, I wonder how this, how this stone's going to get moved. They were worried about what their part in the story was, not somebody else's. Here's the ironic thing. 
we can solve a lot more of our problems than we realize. But it's only when we're able to differentiate between our problems and someone else's or God's that we have a chance at doing that. Because the truth of the matter is, we think there's so many problems for us to solve that we can't solve because we're borrowing problems from other places, from other people. When we're able to properly, with wisdom and discernment, tell the difference, that's called faith. That's what these women had. They had two things going here. They had grief and they had faith. Here's what I want you to think about this morning, this Easter morning, this morning where we celebrate hope. When are you going to stop trying to move boulders that aren't yours to move? Let's keep reading. In verse 4, it says this. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Hallelujah. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, or as another translation says, terrified and amazed. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. How do you decide what fits in a category of believable or unbelievable in your life? You believe in the Loch Ness Monster? You believe that 9-11 was an inside job? <laughs> uh, what about uh, the moon landing? Was it fake? Was it real? Obviously, as human beings, we're, we're capable of believing many things that somebody else might find unbelievable. And I want to talk about two ways that we end up believing in things that are unbelievable. The first way is to get away from this present moment, to get away with, from the complexity and the pain and the joy and the bigness of every single day of our lives. We pawn it off on something else, a scapegoat, if you will. So like believing that there's an Illuminati governing the world or that Democrats are part of a deep state child trafficking drug cartel on a flat earth will give us some kind of measure of feeling control. That we can name what's wrong with the world and we can put a face to it and it's something that we can attack rather than face our lives. We don't need conspiracy theories for that though. Because we do that with our spouses, with our parents, with our children, with our friends. We find somebody else to blame for us just living this life, being in this moment that we're in. And this scapegoating, it rips us away from the present. It keeps us from feeling and seeing what's really going on in our own life. It makes our hearts shrink with bitterness. It makes us petty, emotionally unstable, and spiritually weak. And it's something I'm guilty of most every week. 
There's a second way though. There's a second way to believe in the unbelievable in your life. And it's what these women illustrate for us in this story in front of the grave. That if you can be present, just like that feeling I had at the birth of my son, or even just the other day when I looked out and, and I saw that green, you can find that life is bigger than you ever imagined and that you're not a good future teller, that you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't. None of you are good future tellers. You might as well get one of those eight balls and start shaking it and let that tell you what the future is about. That what we're good at is self-fulfilling prophecies. But see, these women, they got up that morning and they said, let's go see what happens. Let's go see what happens. And what they encountered filled them with terror and amazement. So you might say, yeah, well, this is a, this is a story in the Bible, Jamin. This happens in the Bible. It doesn't happen in my life. But here's what I want you to consider. Do you make space for someone else to act in a way you don't expect them to in your life? God, your friends, your spouse, your family, do you make space for that to happen? Or are you constantly in your mind and out loud and after the fact confirming that the world is as small as your little thoughts? So these women, they came with presence. They came with sadness and grief, but also with faith. And they encountered something that made all of their beliefs about the world change. That something sad will one day come untrue. That death is actually not the last word, but life. That the things that they had prepared for were not what the end would be. Have you ever found yourself too afraid to talk about something that you really hoped for and believed? Have you ever found that? Because, because you thought, I'll look ridiculous. I will look ridiculous if I share this out loud with another person. I bet that's how these women felt in that moment. And that is perfectly understandable when you are believing something that is really too big for you to hold. It requires making and leaving space for the unexpected in your life, for the living God. Here's what I wanna leave us with this morning. Uh, Mary and Mary and Salome, they, they came to this grave. And what they saw, again, filled them with terror and amazement. It was something that kept them quiet, at least for a time, for a short time. And I think this is what happens when we open ourselves up to the living God. Not just the idea of God not just the place we expect God to be and show up, but open ourselves up to the possibility of a living 
God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Like, how else would God be except for living? And yet, it makes a lot of sense. Because when we live as future tellers, no matter what we believe or say we believe or don't believe about God, whether we're an atheist or a Christian or a Muslim, when we live as future tellers, we're like idolaters. We, we expect God to be where we put him. We expect God to only be encounterable in those places, even if it's tied up in all of the hurt, all of the uh, things that authority figures in our life told us God was like, at least it gives us a spot to put him. When you live with presence, when you begin to stop being a future teller and you seek to know your insides, you might just encounter a living God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are alive and that we celebrate that this morning and the resurrection of Jesus, the one we call Lord and Savior. And I pray that as we come to the table this morning, that we take communion, that this sacrament reminds us of your presence with us, that where we look for you, you may not be, but that you're in a lot more places than our future telling can account for. So I pray, God, that you would meet us in both the expected and the unexpected places as we come to the communion table on this beautiful morning. Amen.